On this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, join the group for a special series of Christmas conversations. Now, Luke chapters 1 and 2 are a passage of Scripture that gets a lot of attention this time of year. Most of us would say they were pretty familiar with the characters and the events and the story of Jesus' birth that's contained there, especially in chapter 2. But there's a section of Luke chapter 1 that Elisa Morgan admits she hadn't really spent that much time with. When the angel Gabriel informs this virgin, Mary, that she'd become pregnant with the Messiah, she responds with a big yes. And we've talked about Mary in several of our conversations. But then she goes on and she offers up this song of praise called the Magnificat in Latin. And I began to think about... I haven't ever really looked at this section of scripture in Luke chapter 1 really on its own. And I want to invite us to do that, to think what did her melody to God mean for her in her day? What did it mean to Luke? Why did he include it? And then what does it mean for us? And perhaps how we might voice those words to God in our day. And so let's spend some time with the part of the Christmas story that we're going to call Mary's song. And welcome to the Discover the Word podcast, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. And as part of our celebration of Christmas this year, Elisa Morgan and Bill Crowder and Marte Hahn and Daniel Ryan Day are going to reflect on this part of Luke chapter 1 that we kind of know is there, but as Elisa said, we haven't maybe spent as much time with it as some of the other aspects of Jesus' birth. It's this theologically rich and meaningful Mary's song, also called the Magnificat. And so why don't you go ahead and pull your chair up to the table with the group, and we'll get started with our study for Christmas this year on Discover the Word, simply called Mary's Song. Elisa? Okay, when you think about songs that portray Mary, the mother of Jesus, Maybe at Christmas, maybe otherwise. What songs come to mind? Mary, did you know? That's a famous one. What other ones? Well, she's depicted in Away in a Manger and also, I think, in Silent Night, correct? Yes. Yeah, Round Young Virgin, Yeah. Mother and Child. Yep. And I know where you're going with this. So I you feel, do? I feel cheap throwing this out there, <laughs> but I actually do think of a high Latin mass where they're singing the Magnificat. Very good. Yeah. And Ave Maria. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's go back to the first one that y'all mentioned, which was Mary, did you know? Because I think that's maybe the most, well, definitely the most contemporary song, but also relatable song in terms of Mary as a mom. Did you have any idea that the baby you were bearing would become the son of God would become the deliverer of us all. And we know that a man named Mark Lowry wrote that just in the 1980s. Buddy Green wrote the music for it. It's been recorded by all kinds of artists, uh, Christian and non. And it seems like it should have been written hundreds of years ago. It does. (laughs) It has such a classic, deeper rootedness to it. When the angel Gabriel informs this virgin, Mary, that she'd become pregnant, with the Messiah. She responds with a big yes. And we've talked about Mary in several Mm -hmm. of our conversations. But then she goes on and she offers up this song of praise. And because her words attribute majesty to God, you know, it has been called the Magnificat in Latin. And, And I began to think about, I haven't ever really looked at this section of scripture in Luke chapter one really on its own. And I want to invite us to do that, to think what did her melody to God mean for her in her day? For anybody who was listening, what did it mean to Luke? Why did he include it? And then what does it mean for us? And perhaps how we might voice those words to God in our day. So I want to dive into that. And the first thing I want to ask us is, you know, just the context here. Who is Mary? What do we know about her? Just some general pieces. And then we'll read the context that comes just before the song. Well, she says when the angel comes and announces to her that she's going to bear the Christ child, she says that she's never been with a man before in a way that implies sexually. She's never been sexually active. So she's a virgin. Yeah. We know that uh, she was engaged at that time, betrothed to Joseph. And during that time in Israel's history, 
usually young girls were young girls mm -hmm. when they were betrothed. So adolescent. -ish. She, yeah, she yeah. could have been maybe 13, 14 years old at that time. Yeah. And probably from a peasant class, not wealthy. That's an important thing to hold on to as we look at these words. And in some ways, maybe a least likely chosen person. Let's read the context at some point right after the angel leads her. In Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 45. Daniel, would you just read that context for us? And let's hear what's happening. Sure. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Okay, so what do we know about Elizabeth? Who is she in relationship to Mary's family? Well, she appears to be a cousin or, or mm -hmm. some kind of a fairly close relative. She's married to a priest named Zacharias, and they, unlike Mary, who's very young, Zacharias and Elizabeth are very old. And there's been a similar kind of angelic announcement to Zechariah that in their old age, Elizabeth would become pregnant. Zechariah couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, she's pregnant and she's well along in her pregnancy. And Mary goes to visit her shortly after she finds out she's going to be pregnant, is pregnant with the Son of God. So Elizabeth greets Mary. And what happens? I've always found this really interesting, Elisa, because we know that Elizabeth was going to give birth to John the Baptist, whose defined role and mission was to announce the coming of the Messiah, uh, Jesus. And here before he's even born, he's already on the job. <laughs> I love uh, it. That's a great way to put it, Bill, because he leaps in his mom's womb. Mm -hmm. He leaps for joy. And, you know, we, we've talked about in other conversations that it's right around the time, six months along or so, when a baby does truly move around and you can feel there's a spiritual aspect to the rejoicing here. Yeah, there's a spirituality to the whole thing, right? I mean, we really can't yes. explain what was going on there. Exactly. But I think it's interesting, too, and we'll hold on to this. Elizabeth is really blessing Mary. You know, mm -hmm. she calls her, blessed are you among women, blessed is the child, blessing Jesus, you're favored. These words come. And now Mary, in her song that's going to follow, is going to bless God. And so I think that's an interesting yeah. layering mm. of blessing there. It's interesting, too, to think about the fact that Zechariah couldn't speak at this point in the story because he had not believed or whatever. And so perhaps God was giving him time to really experience waiting by not being able to. So Elizabeth is the only one that can greet Mary <laughs> with words. And so yeah. not only is her greeting a blessing, but it's rejoicing and excitement. And we know that the baby probably had moved in her womb in some way before. So the baby moves in a way that's very unique or different so that she yeah. feels like this is a special yeah. moment. And then even at the end, she directly blesses Mary, directly blesses the baby. And then mm -hmm. blessed is she who believed in God that he would fulfill his promise to her. So there's like a, a different turn there at the end as well. That's lovely. And there's a way in which she's also gratifying her own acceptance mm -hmm. of God's call on her life, you know, mm -hmm. so both Elizabeth and Mary. Now for a minute or two, let's think about how Elizabeth and Zechariah contrast to Mary and Joseph, because it's counterintuitive, upside down again, kingdom things happening, that you would think that the Messiah would be born from this priestly line mm -hmm. of Elizabeth and Zechariah, but instead the Messiah is coming to the humble couple of Mary and Joseph. So what do we know about just contrasting them? Well, again, Mary and Joseph are a good bit younger than Zechariah mm -hmm. and Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. That's one contrast. And the age really does stick out to me mm -hmm. as I read this story because in a way, because Mary's not married yet, there's almost like a way Zechariah and Elizabeth are too old and Mary's too young. Yeah. And yeah. right. So there's like this really interesting contrast that just sets up the whole story. So good. And and Zechariah responds really on the basis of what's possible humanly. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth and Mary are responding more towards what's possible 
divinely. There's almost this kind of in spite of instead of mm-hmm. because of. It's very surprising that God would choose humble Mary instead of more credentialed Elizabeth and, and Zechariah. But back to what Daniel said, I think, Daniel, you're really onto something with mm-hmm. them being too old and her being too young. I think another point of contrast is there's something about the heart attitude that must be different. And I say that must be because it's more implied by the text than it is stated. But when Zechariah is told you're going to have a baby, he said, it can't happen. We're too old. And for all intents and purposes, when the angel tells Mary, she says, it can't happen. I'm too young. (laughs) And Zechariah is disciplined for his statement. And she is kind of brought a a little further on and given more information. So it seems to me there must be something about the attitude behind the words Mm -hmm. that causes the angel to deal differently with Zechariah than he does with her. Mm -hmm. Mary has a a trust, almost this vulnerable, innocent shazam, (laughs) to use an Elisa word, of, wow, I believe this, and I'm I'm all for it. And that's what we're going to see is underneath her song of praise to God. As we close this conversation, let's read Mary's song. And this is in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 55. Can we go around? Mark, would you start us? Okay. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And that is Mary's song, The Magnificat. You're listening to a special edition of the Discover the Word podcast exploring Mary's song in Luke chapter 1 and considering how the words of the Magnificat can bless our lives today. And so when Mary learned from the angel Gabriel that she was the one, she was the one that would give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, she still had to have a lot of questions she didn't get answers to, even though the message was delivered by an angel. But, you know, I even imagine that produced some questions. Did that really just happen? But her response to this unexpected and still pretty vague calling is something we can learn a lot from. And so let's continue to dig deeper into Mary's song. Can you share a time when you sensed that God was uniquely choosing you and thus blessing you? to address something in your world. You know, maybe it's at work, maybe it's in your family, maybe it was in your body of believers, maybe it's in your neighborhood, maybe it was a cause. I think there have been times where I've sensed God wanting me to share something with someone else Mm. or encourage someone or those times when you have just a random, what feels like such a random thought about someone else. And then the more you think about it, the more you're like, I think I need to share that with that person. And then you do and find out that that's something the Lord's been working on in their heart. So Mm -hmm. I I think those are the examples that come to mind for me when you ask that question. That's a great example. With me, I almost go the other way. There are times, probably many times when I've asked the Lord to help, uh, when I've felt inadequate for something. And then later on, I've looked back on it and thought, oh, it seems like (laughs) the Lord showed up in that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, something happened there that I couldn't have put together myself. Yeah, for me, it's nothing as intimate as what Daniel described or as backward looking as what Mark did. And it doesn't feel as dramatic as the way you kind of mapped it out, Elisa. But I remember it was like 25 years ago, I was pastoring a church and I was invited to speak at a Bible conference. And it was a fairly well-known Bible conference. And I'd never done anything like that before. And I was pretty terrified. And a ministry friend was down there with me and we were walking to the first service. And he said, how you doing? And I said, I'm terrified, man. I'm not ready for this. Mm-hmm. And he said, God's been preparing you for this your whole life. You're ready oh, for this. And, and that was the first time I felt like, wow, 
Mm-hmm. Maybe God really does want something <laughs> out of me mm-hmm. other than what I normally do. So it was just like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's a thread running through this. Our, all of our examples of inadequacy or a little bit of doubt of me. You know, you're talking to me here, God, or is this mm-hmm. you, God, talking to me, God, about this, God? And when you get that tap on your shoulder, and it's absolutely maybe in hindsight, as you shared, Mart, or maybe really a, a nudge to go, as, as you shared, Daniel, when you get that, there is a, a stunning kind of me and a wow, God, that mm-hmm. happens inside us. And sometimes we can overlook the legitimacy of that call or that selection because of our own hesitancies, don't you think? Yeah, we don't want to be presumptive. You yeah. Know. yeah. So, so Daniel, could you read Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 48? This is the beginning of Mary's song, the Magnificat, we call it, where she magnifies the Lord. And listen to how Mary responds to God's calling her. This is Luke 1, starting in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mm. Do you hear inadequacy on those words? I'm not sure I do. (laughs) (laughs) I hear this, wow, yay God, he picked me. Well, (laughs) yeah, I I think you hear the humility when she describes herself as being in a humble state. Totally. So there is some inadequacy, but there's more an embrace, isn't there? Yeah, I think it's interesting. This is a little off track, Elisa, Mm -hmm. but I think it's interesting. You keep referring to this as Mary's song. And one of the things that is so prevalent and characteristic of Christmas celebration is there's so much Christmas music, so many Christmas songs. And even in Luke's gospel, this is the first of several songs. She has a song, then Zacharias has a song, and then the angels have a song, and then Simeon has a song. And and so it seems like there's this gathering of Christmas songs, even at the first Christmas. It's really kind of interesting. But what I'm wondering is, why is it a song? Well, it's written, yeah, I guess it's a little poetic-y. It's Mm -hmm. more of the, and y'all maybe know more about this with linguistically, but it's more the format of a song, of a poem, than just your regular narrative. It's cast very much like the Psalms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you could call it a prayer instead of a song. Yeah. That would be accurate too, like the prayer book of God's people and the Psalms. This very much models that too. We probably also think of it as a song because we've heard it sung before, if you've heard like a Latin version of the Magnificat or something like that. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's why we refer to it too. But that's a good question, Mark. And I think it's probably just because it does kind of fit the Hebrew parallelism and some of those things that we see in the Psalms. It kind of feels like something you'd see there or in the prophets as well, because she kind of pulls on some prophetic threads too, as I know we'll talk about later. Well, and if you look at the little subtitle that comes right before it in the NIV, for example, it's called Mary's Song. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) So I know that's not a divinely inspired piece of scripture, but it's interesting that that's the way it's uh, subtitled there. The context we've talked about, you know, she's just arrived at Elizabeth's, who's also pregnant with John the Baptist, and Elizabeth has announced blessing over Mary, and Mary then responds with these words. And there's been a lot of conversation over the ages of who really wrote this song? Did Mary actually utter these words? I mean, we know that Mary and her version of the birth narrative is what Luke drew from as he created his gospel. Do you think Mary, a 13, 14-year-old young girl would have the education, the wherewithal to write these words of this Magnificat? That gets kind of tricky depending on what we mean by writing too. Because when we often think of writing, we think of ourselves in a journal and a pen. Mm -hmm. And just there wasn't access to writing in the same way in that way. So if we think of her like sitting down as a scribe to write this out, maybe she didn't. But it doesn't mean that they weren't her words or what she's saying or really, really, really close to what she's saying in her prayer to God as a response. But either for her or for Elizabeth to remember the words. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to be something almost supernatural that God imprinted these words in her. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was going to say, too. I mean, you already have the Holy Spirit fully engaged 
in these women through their pregnancies and so forth, it would not be too much to expect that perhaps the Holy Spirit who inspired the scriptures could have inspired these words from her. And as far as the lack of education is concerned, I kind of think that's a non-issue because she would have grown up Mm -hmm. hearing the scriptures read in the Sabbath at the synagogue Mm -hmm. Every Sabbath day, even though she would have not been trained rabbinically or even given the same level of direct training that a Jewish boy would have received because of their cultural things, uh, she would have still grown up listening to the scriptures being read. And I think probably had more grasp of the scripture than maybe she's being given credit for. Mm. Verse 46 says, Mary said, and Mary said, you know, so I can be literalist here, but, you know, scholars have suggested perhaps Luke is the one who listened to Mary retell it and wrote it down exactly, or that Elizabeth somehow contributed to it. Some scholars think it has some similarities to Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, where she's thanking God for her son, or Miriam's song after the deliverance of Israel from the Red Sea. Songs of praise were really common, as we've talked about in the Old Testament. But the thing is, it's super personal. And mm-hmm. now to scoot into some of the context of the words of what she's saying, she's talking about how God is the subject of every single verb. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. These are verbs that are all they're called transitive. God's the subject of every one of them. They don't just declare who God is, they declare what he does. And specifically, he's chosen and blessed me. He's been Mm. mindful of the humble state of me. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. I mean, this is like the epitome of an example of being selected for God's divine purpose. in our universe. I mean, this call of Mary to bear the Messiah. I think about her example. I I think she was still fairly shaking with wonder at the whole thing. But I love the example of the embrace that she models for us. God, with his perfect purposes, with his beautiful character, has acted. And he's chosen me. And who am I to pull back from that in inadequacy? Mm -hmm. If he has chosen me, then I will bless him and I will respond to him and I will embrace that call on my life. It makes me wonder how I need to embrace the calls, even when they surprise me. Well, it would be easier if uh, Gabriel showed up, (laughs) right? Yeah, but in those moments when you feel a nudge, Daniel, go chat with somebody. Bill, I know you feel inadequate, but look back. You were prepared for this. He does show up. It's maybe not through a Gabriel. but it's through a tap or a nudge or a wooing to participate in his work. Yeah, God is still calling us, maybe not with an angel, but he's still calling. And the question is, are we listening? Because when Mary learned that finally the wait for a Messiah was over and God was giving her a key role to play her, Mary, she responded with a firm and insightful Yes, that's what we're exploring in Mary's song in Luke chapter 1. And you know, God continues to use ordinary people like you and me today to show the world what he's like. And so again, the question is, are we listening to his calling? We will continue this special Christmas study on Discover the Word after this short break. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the remarkable impact of Christmas on the life of Mary and the many other characters in the Christmas story, then I'd invite you to get a copy of Elisa Morgan's book titled Christmas Changes Everything. In this book, which actually was a study here on Discover the Word before it was a book, uh, Elisa shares how that visit from an angel and all the things about that first Christmas obviously changed everything for Mary. The direction of her life was never the same. You can order Elisa's book when you go online to discovertheword.org. Again, it's called Christmas Changes Everything. And we'll have a link on our homepage this week. And it is also always in our store that you can access from our homepage there at discovertheword.org. Look for Christmas Changes Everything by Elisa Morgan. 
And now back to Mary's song on this Christmas edition of the Discover the Word podcast. Have you heard a saying, I think it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, preach Christ at all times, if necessary, use words. Yeah, I've heard that yeah. before. Yeah. Yeah. Have you? What does that mean? Well, I think it's very much, I think, a comparison to the way nature and creation bears witness to God in a nonverbal way. We can do the same thing just in the way we reflect Him mm-hmm. and the way we live our lives, the way we treat others. There are ways that we can bear witness to Him without words in the same way that nature bears witness to him without words. Which would make sense for Francis because he was very connected to Mm -hmm. God through nature and Mm -hmm. was one of the first believers who really pointed out how much we can see of God in nature. I'm guessing too it also (laughs) reflects how how connected he was to human nature. Oh, human nature, (laughs) not just nature, nature. And our inclination (laughs) to be talking all the time, saying it. When somebody (laughs) needs to say, you know what? Don't say it, show it. Yeah. Mm. You know, let's see what it looks like. And then maybe we'll listen to your words. Yeah. And perhaps he's pushing back against the way that we all like to relegate spiritual things to this part of our lives and physical or normal things to this part of our lives. Mm. And he's just reminding us that all of life is preaching something. And mm. so what are we preaching in the in-between moments when we're not using words. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think every parent understands that because (laughs) our kids learn so much watching what we do, Mm -hmm. uh, so much more than hearing what we say. I think that Mm. that's a reality. So we've been looking at Mary's song in in Luke chapter 1, after the angel comes to her, after... Elizabeth and Zechariah are told they will be pregnant in their old age and they will bear John the Baptist. And Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, who's a relative of hers. And Elizabeth blesses Mary and John leaps in Elizabeth's womb. And then Mary sings this beautiful song, this poem, this prayer, magnifying God. And it's been called the Magnificat in uh, Latin. That term has been attributed to it. And we looked about how Mary moves from a very personal praising of God for his choosing her and blessing her to bear the Messiah. And I want to pick us up now in, in verses 49 and 50, because she's going to move on to looking at God's, not just his actions now in choosing and blessing her, but his character. And it's a character that may be surprising in terms of what Jewish thinking would have expected their Messiah to be, their God to be. Uh, Bill, would you read Luke chapter 1, verses 49 and 50? For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Well, we're going to see if we go down that His divine attributes are power, holiness, and mercy. Power... um, What phrase does she use there in describing God? She calls him the mighty one. Literally, that means one who is able. It's like the king as a rescuing hero. That's not really a surprise. I think all of Israel expected God to come as a conquering king. But there's something so personal in this. And in back in verse 35, when the angel appears to Mary and she's going, how in the world can this happen? How can I, who am a virgin, become pregnant? He talks about, verse 35, about how the Holy Spirit will hover over her. And that's the same kind of overshadowing, almost like a a king with power. Mm -hmm. So that's how God's going to accomplish, the mighty one is going to accomplish. And that's the same language as we see in creation in Genesis 1, where the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the deep. Mm. And all those references throughout the Old Testament of the shadow of his wings. And Mm. it's like the protective power of God as well. The second attribute is one of holy. And what's that attributed to, Mart? How does Mary say God is holy? Yeah, holy is his name. Yeah. Mm. What would that have meant to her? Well, to refer to the name is to refer to, most likely to refer to the sacred name of God that would be unspeakable. And so because he is so set apart and special and this sacred name that captures who he really is and they had so much respect and awe and honor of God's name that they wouldn't actually say the name and so they would just say 
the name (laughs) or refer Uh to him Mm -hmm. in some other way. Yeah, I think that too, she would have been exposed to the Old Testament scriptures in the synagogue on Sabbaths throughout her entire life. No doubt she would have heard Exodus chapter 20 where we have the Ten Commandments and there's some specific Mm -hmm. references to how we do and do not deal with the name. It's interesting to think about too. So this is Jesus's mom. When Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray later, did he get the phrase, holy is your name, from his mom as a part of that prayer? Just, yeah. just wonder. Hallowed be thy name. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I think of it almost in today's language would be, oh, good night. God did this. You know, it's yes. just like, God did this. Yeah. There's a stunning reverence. And I'm not lost on this. You know, we've talked about, did Mary actually utter these words? And, you know, did Luke da- write them down as a direct quote? But the reality is, God is using a woman to mirror back these attributes of him. Mm. And we don't see that very often in scripture. And I don't want to lose that, that honoring. It's the humble state of Mary, a woman who would traditionally not be included in this inner circle of calling, but Mary is, and she calls him holy. The third characteristic is in verse 50. And Mark, would you grab that? Yeah, his mercy, his mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. I think that's the part that might have been the surprise that you were referring to earlier, Lisa. They knew that there was a lot in the Old Testament about the mercy of God. We do see it a lot. It seems like when you look at the religious community in first century Israel, there wasn't a whole lot of emphasis on the mercy of God. It was on the demands and expectations of God. And the judgment of God. Yeah. Yeah, but it reminds me of the very beginning when God reveals himself to Moses And he introduces himself as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation. Right. And so in some ways, it's like a very summarizing phrase of how God introduced himself to Moses back in Exodus 34. It goes right back to the beginning. And, and yeah. yet, actually, the, the songs of Israel were full of the mercy of God. You know, his mercies endure forever, and they would repeat that over and over again. So in the Magnificat, we expect Mary to glorify and magnify God's godness, <laughs> you know, his power, his holiness. But she also raises up his mercy. And coming from a humble servant who is one eager and longing and represents all who are longing for mercy, for things to be put right. It's a beautiful and perhaps a little bit surprising turn to see her include that attribute in the characteristics she praises God for. And the Messiah is, you know, being conceived in a very tumultuous time when people are suffering to a humble woman and this mercy is going to come to all generations through her. Mm-hmm. You know, you see this powerful God who can extend himself and be the mighty one to conquer. You see this holy God whose name can't even be uttered. And then you see this merciful God who's going to make sure that the promise, as you said, Daniel in Exodus 34, comes to fruition across generations. Mm-hmm. You know, And as we looked in our last conversation mm-hmm. about boldly embracing God blessing and choosing us and not shrinking Mm -hmm. from that call and how Mary did that. We also look at the reality that Mary exhibited her trust in God by pointing towards his character. Mm -hmm. And his character was not just kabosh, you know, the mighty one, the holy one. He was also the merciful one who would choose a humble servant Mm -hmm. and would then pour out blessing over generations. And I wonder if maybe some of the surprise here is just tied into the human dimension that religiosity becomes moralistic. It becomes judgmental. It becomes critical. It becomes demanding. And yet you're sensing here, at least that coming through all of that is again this reminder that no, God is merciful. He's kind. So in the Magnificat, Mary's really pulling up the reality of this is God's character. He will set things right through the gift of his Messiah. been a Christian for a long time, but what's just been in the last couple of years, and maybe it's because I'm old, (laughs) I hear God inviting me 
to trust his character in a different way. And what I mean by that is not like, oh God, will you fix this? Oh God, will you show up here? Oh God, will you provide this? It's more of, Elisa, will you trust me? That no matter what stuff looks like, will you just say, I trust you, God? Mm -hmm. I think there's times when we look at our world and we see so much struggle. And it's easy to wonder if God will complete his promises unless we look back at who he is. Anybody Mm -hmm. relate? to this? Oh, I, I think in so many ways, you're right. And it, it seems to take time and it takes experience. And probably all of those things together help us to realize maybe in our older age, you know, it's not just about me. It's not just about us. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, the things that, that really raise big questions in our minds about God are often the things that we see in other people suffering in ways we just cannot make sense of. And we really have to trust God. You really hit the nail on the head, Mart. I think what motivated me and still does is will you fix this in my life? Will you, you know, protect this in my life? Instead of understanding that I'm a part of a bigger message and a bigger purpose. And and that's just easy to put into words, but it's really hard to put into life. And oftentimes I think too, when we think we trust God well, it feels like so often those are times in our lives when something happens that makes us realize, oh, maybe I hadn't trusted him with that part yet (laughs) or something. I feel like trusting God is always like progressive or like a process or something where we're learning to trust more as we discover he's trustworthy. And then we find out that we can even trust him with the things we don't trust him with by telling him we don't trust him. And like, it's just like this whole relational aspect that begins to unfold Mm -hmm. where we can truly be honest. And I feel like most of the times in my life, when I think that I've trusted God so well, something happens where I realize where I still have a really hard grasp of control on Mm -hmm. something. (laughs) And I needed that to be released to trust him more. Mm -hmm. In education, they often talk about the value of being a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're describing, Elisa, in the journey of life is we spend an entire lifetime not only learning who God is and what his capabilities are, but who we are and what our blind spots are. Yeah. And we change over our lifetimes. You know, I want to take this conversation about trust and about how we embrace God's character in our world into our conversation about Mary's song, the Magnificat, in Luke 1. And in this conversation, looking at how it really is Mary's understanding or her grasp of God's transformative love that she's praising God for. Let's go ahead and read the whole set of verses up to now and then add in to some more verses for this conversation. We're gonna look at Luke chapter one, verse 46, and let's go around and read through verse, I think uh, maybe 53. All right. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Okay, let's just take these next verses, verses 51 to 53. But before we do, let's review what we've already seen Mary magnify God about, verse 47 and 48. What do we see there? Just her focus on God. Like it's not something she's done. She is very aware of God has shown up in a very real way. And she acknowledges that at the beginning. And God's tapped her for this amazing responsibility of bearing the Messiah. And then in verse 49 to 50. Yeah, she talks about his power and what he's done for her. She talks about the holiness of his name and about his extravagant mercy. And a little bit of that was surprising and inconsistent in her day. Now in verses 51 to 53, she talks about God performing mighty deeds with his arm. Mm -hmm. The arm of God represents God's deliverance, his Mm -hmm. power, especially like through the Exodus journey. Then he scatters those who are proud in their inmost thoughts is another thing Mary says. He hates the proud, 
Pride causes us to forget. God is what one person said. I love that. You know, it's like we were talking with trust. Well, I've got this God. I've got this God. Well, whoops, mm-hmm. I've just got this. And I don't even think about God. I've got this, you know, and we forget about God. Somebody grab Deuteronomy 8, 14. And let's see that consistent thread through scripture. It's a reference to hearts that become proud mm-hmm. and that forget the Lord our God who brought And it's talking about Israel here, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I think it's really interesting, Elisa, that everything's referring back to God's past performance. This isn't just wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. I really hope God's able to do something, but who knows? (laughs) There's no speculative thinking here. She's dipping into Israel's history with their God and his faithfulness in the past and acknowledging that that's the same faithfulness that is needed in the present Mm -hmm. and the future. I think this also is a really helpful spot to show the real way that prophecy works itself out in the Bible. We often think of this verse in the Old Testament somewhere that clearly says this is how something in the future will happen. And we forget that back then there was a real context where something happened that showed that that was true about God. But that also hints at the type of God this is Mm. who shows up in a similar way throughout history. Mm. And so Mary, by rehearsing and remembering all of these things about who God is, is like acknowledging the way that God was like that in the past Mm. and reinforcing the fact that he's still the type of God that does these types of things now. Mm -hmm. And what type of God is he? He's a God that hates how pride gets in the way of us depending on him for what's best when he truly is trustworthy as someone who knows what's best. He's that same type of God that wants what's best and is working toward that now as well. It's really a reflection of how he cares for everybody. Yeah. I love the way you said, Daniel, she's rehearsing God's faithfulness from generation to generation. Mm -hmm. Look down now at verse 52 and 53. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but he's lifted up the humble. I mean, Mary lives in an era, and we're going to see that she and Joseph are going to have to flee to Egypt, Mm -hmm. right? And Herod's going to go wackadoodle and want to kill all the male babies. God's going to bring down the rulers, and he's going to lift up the humble of whom she is one. Verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things but has sent the rich away empty. There is a transformation happening in society around her that comes from God's historic faithfulness. And she's rehearsing that for herself and what she's going to be walking through, but also rehearsing it for all of us and what we walk through. But I think especially, Elisa, not only is she rehearsing God's faithfulness in general, but especially his care for the poor and the marginalized yeah. seem to be the things that she's lifting up in the song. Yeah, yeah. And what I think I hear you you're t- saying too is that God doesn't seem to be doing this all the time for everybody, but she must, knowing the history of her people, be thinking of specific cases where there were mm-hmm. humble people, broken people that God lifted up mm-hmm. and, and other specific places where there were powerful leaders emperors that God brought down. And it's the specificity of that story that seems to be holding her up and strengthening her here. It's going to foreshadow Jesus' words himself in the Beatitudes. He talks about blessed are the poor in spirit, Mm -hmm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted, on and on. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. It's a new day. It's the same God. We've talked about this God of Exodus 34 who was full of mercy. But now it's time for his character to be demonstrated in action that will transform hearts and transform his promises. Mm -hmm. It's a time to look back at what he's done, embrace what he's doing, Mm -hmm. and trust what he is going to complete. Mary thanks God for reversing the powers of the world. And it it makes me think about how can I embrace God's transformative power? You know, how can I trust him when things don't look right in my world? How can I look back at what he's done and then look literally at who he is? And instead of looking for him to fix or protect or just those specific things for me, how can I see his work in my life as part of his larger work to transform our world? What an eye-opening part of the conversation that was, as 
We look to Mary's song to provide the reason we remember and celebrate the help and the healing that came through Jesus at Christmas. And uh, talking about this part of the Magnificat, this part of Mary's song, reminds me of another conversation we had a couple of years ago here on Discover the Word. It was with Dr. Esau McCauley in a series called Reading Hope with the Black Church. And in part four of that conversation, Esau took us to Luke chapter 1 and Mary's song to talk about the inversion of power that Mary mentions in her song and how God so often chooses those that society ignores. I would recommend that you go to our archives on our website and look that series up. Here's how you do that. Go to discovertheword.org and click on Archive up at the top of the page. And then just type Esau into the search bar, and that'll take you to that series with Dr. Esau McCauley. And the specific part of that conversation is chapter 4 that refers to the Magnificat. All right, well, we will wrap up this Christmas study on Mary's song after we take a moment to look ahead to what our next podcast will be about. time on the Discover the Word podcast, a special collection of Discover the Word conversations. We're calling it a best of episode of Discover the Word. And first, we'll go back fairly deep into the archives for two of what I consider a couple of our all-time best of Christmas programs. Haddon Robinson and Alice Matthews on the phone with Dr. Kenneth Bailey. Now, Ken was a scholar, an author, and longtime Middle East resident, and we refer to his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, quite often. And in these two conversations Haddon and Alice had with him on the phone, uh, they talked about some common misconceptions we may have about Christmas. You sound like the Grinch that stole Christmas. <laughs> That's too I think, bad. No, no, how, no. How, how about the... How about the prophet who enriches Christmas story? I like that better. It's obvious that you have some problems with the traditional way we've understood the birth of Jesus. Yes. What are some of the problems that you see? Now, Ken said that he wouldn't ruin Christmas for us, but hopefully enrich it. And for me, it definitely did enrich. So if you've never heard Ken Bailey talk about Christmas, you've got to hear the next episode of the podcast. And then we'll also have a few more best of Discover the Word conversations from 2023. Uh, Jack Beck, Randy Richards, and of course, the rest of the regular Discover the Word group. Pretty excited about the next episode of the Discover the Word podcast, and I hope you'll be here for it. And now, the conclusion of our look at Mary's song. As we've been looking at Mary's song, or the Magnificat in Luke chapter one together. I've been really enjoying this conversation and I'm looking at it in a different way. And I wanna start off our last conversation by actually reading the scriptures and pausing just to ask us, what's hitting you? What's been popping to you in our conversation? So listen as I read. Now remember, Mary has come to see her relative Elizabeth after the angel Gabriel has announced to her that she's going to bear the Messiah. And Elizabeth is just gaga with excitement and blesses Mary for her obedience and shares the joy as she's pregnant with John the Baptist. And in verse 46 of chapter 1 of Luke, Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but He's lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. And now two more verses. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. What strikes you in our conversations this far? What a moment this is. I mean, all generations (laughs) have been looking forward to this moment and generations in the future will look back to it. Yeah, I think so. And I think the way you said that, Mark, kind of captures 
what I was feeling, and that is there's so much wonder yeah. expressed here in her heart and what God's doing in her life and what God's doing for the world. Yeah. yeah. I think one thing that we haven't really talked about, but I've been thinking about throughout this whole series is just the question, like, why did she go to Elizabeth? And I wonder if it's because this was such a, like, vulnerable moment for her that God had already told her Elizabeth also had this miracle happen to her Mm -hmm. of a pregnancy. And And that it was in the sixth month. And it was at the sixth Mm -hmm. month. And so there's almost like, I wonder if Mary, it says that she went with haste. I wonder Mm -hmm. if she was just feeling that like awe, but also the vulnerability and the fear and some of that as well, and knew that Elizabeth's home would be a safe place for her to get her mind around what is happening I love to that, me Daniel. and all yeah. of that. And then out of that mm-hmm. space, first of all, just the acceptance that she gets right off the bat with Elizabeth mm-hmm. of this celebration moment mm-hmm. that I wonder if that gave her the space mm-hmm. to process to such an extent that she could begin to pray these words. These words reflect her vulnerability, her lowliness, her humility, her powerlessness, but they also reflect this trust and confidence that I just wonder if Elizabeth's home and space gave her the space she needed to realize that God really was with her in this. And that's how this psalm or prayer of praise kind of broke out from within her. It's beautiful, and you see a kind of a cumulative nature to this song. And you referenced it well, Daniel, in verse 36, that, you know, Gabriel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child. So Mary is given that information, and it's clear that she's also conceiving through the power of God. I'm struck, again, reading this all together, how very personal this song is. You know, I'm reading it yet again, and I'm saying, my soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I mean, she first receives God as her Savior, and then he's been mindful of my state as humble, and everybody's going to call me blessed. He's done great things for me. And then in verse 50, she turns and has Mm. that more application to all of Israel, and then towards the future. And I, I loved the tense. Have you noticing the tense? He has performed mighty deeds. He has scattered those. He has brought down. He has fulfilled the honey. He has helped. And it's like it's a done deal in her mind. What he's done for her, mm. he's doing and will continue to do for others. And I think one of the things maybe that I'm still left trying to think through is I'm trying to remember okay, the promise he made to Abraham and to his descendants forever, what was that promise? And if I remember right, the promise was that through Abraham and his descendants, all of the world Mm -hmm. would be blessed. Mm -hmm. And so it's that like initial promise felt like it was so much about Abraham's kids. But then as the story of the scriptures unfold, it becomes more and more about being this representative of God to the world, being the people of Israel. And then Mary now having the Messiah who is going to go and as, you know, John talks about is going to be the payment for the sins of the whole world. Right. And so there's this promise of a blessing to all nations that still in some ways hasn't been fulfilled yet in the story of scripture. That's that last thread that Mary pulls Mm -hmm. on in this is, Mm why are all these things true and why are all these things happening? Because the child that I'm going to give birth to is going to be that promise. He's going Mm -hmm. to be the thing that we've all been looking for to make all things right for all people at all times. And you know what's so amazing, Daniel, is look where this is going. Elizabeth's baby will one day be a man who points Mm -hmm. to Mary's (laughs) child who becomes and saying, the Lamb of God. He points, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yeah. Jesus will extend the gospel, the salvific effort to all and you'll you'll watch the New Testament church open up to Gentiles. You'll see the church growing beyond the borders of what anybody understands. Paul writing about Gentiles being grafted in the astounding love of God extending to everybody on the planet mm-hmm. to have the opportunity to know him. When you look at that, 
What other scriptures come to mind? Yeah, I think of Philippians 1 verse 6. He who has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The promise that God is faithful, not just to the promise he's made to us, but to the work that he wants to do in our lives, I think is really encouraging personally, just as Mary's words would have been corporately for Israel. Well, in the very next chapter, you know, Paul goes on to to anticipate a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ mm. is Lord. Mm. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, it begins small, but it's, it ends up being for the sake of the world. I think I think about the fact that the gospel according to Luke is often tied to the book of Acts as well as maybe book one, book two. And just the fact that Luke felt like this was a really important part of the beginning of the story to share as he begins to then unfold the life of Jesus and then unfold the life of the church afterwards. Mm -hmm. And there was something about this beautiful prayer song of praise that Mary creates that lays the whole foundation for the whole story of Jesus and then the whole story of the New Testament church. It ties it into the old story of the Old Testament and the people of Mm -hmm. Israel, but it also sets this new stage for the fact that this is the type of God that we're talking about as this story unfolds. It's a God that keeps his promises. It's a God that Mm -hmm. is strong enough to deal with the brokenness in the world, but merciful enough to do it in the best possible way for us. And so it's like something about this Magnificat sets the stage for Luke's story of Jesus and then the whole story Mm. of the church as well through Acts. You know, I may not have ever really thought about this, but what a beautiful section of scripture to read perhaps every day in the month of December or in the week prior to Christmas to focus, of course, on the angel coming to Mary and the shepherds and the wise women, etc. But Mary's song expresses God's plan to transform and redeem our world, Mm -hmm. a plan that's been in existence since the beginning of time and will continue to be brought forward. And that's what Christmas is about, is this transforming love. To read it and and see in, in Mary's words, a song of praise for a God who has imagined a way to come to us in our humbleness and deliver us into what he always dreamed we would be through the gift of his son, Jesus, and to redeem our world for his best desires as an expression of his love. Mary's song from Luke chapter 1 and verses 46 to 55. That's been the basis for our conversations on this edition of the Discover the Word podcast, a special series for Christmas this year. And I think that's a great suggestion Elisa had about reading and rereading this song, this prayer of Mary. From now until Christmas, make a point to read the Magnificat every day. It's a rich passage. And as they said today, it kind of summarizes what we're celebrating. God's plan to fulfill the promise and to bless and redeem the world through Jesus. Well, thanks for being part of the last hour of conversations with Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day and Mark DeHaan. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And as we close this episode, just want to give a quick word of thanks for remembering that Discover the Word exists because of the financial partnership of listeners and friends like you who share our mission, which is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And so if you've never given before, or if it's been a while since you've been in touch, we invite you to partner with us by sending a special year-end gift that will help set Discover the Word on solid financial footing for the year ahead. Let us know that you support the mission of Discover the Word by going to discovertheword.org, click on Donate, and you can give right there. And you know, I think it would be fitting for Elisa to conclude this special Christmas study of Mary's song here on Discover the Word with a word of prayer. And so, Elisa, would you? Father, thank you for this amazing view of you through Mary. I just confess, I usually just blip, blip, blip over that section of scripture, and I learned so much. Thank you. Thank you for how you 
continue with us. <laughs> We're so grateful for your faithfulness. And we pray that uh, we would lean into it in trust as we go about our days. In your name, amen. Well, have a great Christmas. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries.